Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. Sit around during football games, they have a certain tool they use to make sure that the team knows that they are cheering for them and would maybe even annoy the people around them and on the other side of the stadium. It's called a cowbell. And for weeks and weeks and weeks, my wife uh, wanted a cowbell, and I I kept saying, no, I don't think I would like that very much if you had a cowbell. And then uh, Caitlin and I, my daughter and I, found a cowbell that we thought would be really great for Carrie to use. Uh, This tool is designed, like I said, it lets the team know you're cheering for them because it can be heard. And it uh, annoys everybody around you and even the people across the way. Um, So now I get to go to games um, like this with my noise-canceling headphones. And all I can say is, baby, ring that bell. There's no problem. I know some of you, some of you want to hear what it sounds like, don't you? This is the most obnoxious cowbell in existence. Uh, you know, it, it is so loud. All right, are you ready? Sorry, baby. You know, when we, when we use a tool how it's meant to be used, though, when we use a tool how it's meant to be used, um, we get great satisfaction out of using the tools the way they're meant to be used. When we use a tool in the way it's not supposed to be used, then it, it just doesn't, things just don't work out right. So, for example, if I took the clapper out and didn't let her just take the cowbell, it would not be useful. It would not be made the way it's supposed to be used. Today, we're going to look at money once again and what Jesus says we're supposed to do with our money. And he wants us to see from the passage we're looking at today that it is actually a tool that we're supposed to use in a proper way. And when we use a tool in a proper way, there are three rewards, Jesus says, that happen to us. Let's pray before we look at the scripture. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to uh, examine my own spending and giving and investing habits based on your word. I ask, Lord, that you would use the Holy Spirit that is within us to transform our character to be more like Christ, especially when it is concerning our income, our wealth, and our treasure. God, we ask that you would open our eyes to any blind spots that we have and that you would convict us of any sin that we are participating in so that we could turn from our sin to you for not only forgiveness but for life change. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We have been looking at uh, what the Bible says about money for the last couple of weeks. Uh, Today, this third sermon in our series is the last series about money for a little while. But Jesus talked about money more than he talked about anything else in Scripture. So we will probably hit um, the money topic again, uh, maybe close to the beginning of next year. 
Um, the first Sunday that we talked about money, uh, we talked about how God owns everything. And we have to get our minds wrapped around the fact that God owns everything to have a proper perspective about everything else. Then last week, Jacob uh, preached a great sermon out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where it talked about how we're supposed to use that money in uh, investing in God's kingdom. And he gave us some activities to do this past week. One of the activities he said to do, a uh, uh, faith-giving activity, was to fast and pray about how we use our money. We're supposed to think about it, pray about it, and then plan how we're supposed to use it in a way that honors God. Today we're going to look at how money is a tool that God has given us. Wealth is a tool God has given us. Treasure on earth is a tool God has given us so that we could worship him with it. It, it, it actually affects our worship. A lot of times we don't imagine or think about money being a part of worship. And there's three rewards if we use this tool in the correct way. I'm not, I don't want to ring it anymore. Oh. If we use this tool in the correct way, three rewards that will happen. Number one, we'll have our heart transformation take place. We can have life examination, and we can have worship formation. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19, we're going to look at the words of Christ, what Jesus says about the use of our money. Matthew chapter 6, uh, the big letters are the chapters, the little letters are the verses. Chapter 6, Verse 19. Here's how Jesus starts off talking about money. Now, uh, just to put it a little bit in perspective, Matthew presents Jesus as the new king and the new Moses. And uh, if you know any story about Moses, Moses led the people out of Israel. He was the prophet of God. He went up on a mountain as they were in the wilderness, and he received from God ten commandments, the commandments, the new law that he gave to Israel. Jesus in Matthew is presented as the Messiah, the King, the new Moses. And so we find in this passage Jesus repeating some of the themes of Moses. He goes up on a high spot, and he gives the new law to the people. Moses was giving a law to people that used to be slaves, but now is going to develop their own nation. They needed a new law. They needed a, a, a new uh, declaration of independence. They needed new ways to live. Jesus is talking about kingdom life, how we're supposed to live in his kingdom. And when he goes up on the mount, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. He gives a new way for those who follow him to live. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, what you'll find is most of the stuff that he tells us to do, it's impossible for us to do on our own unless we're transformed Unless we have a rebirth in Christ, unless we become a follower of Jesus, we cannot do what he commands us to do. And that includes his instructions to us here about money, the proper use of money. Verse 19 in chapter 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust, that word can also be vermin, where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Three couplets where he gives a warning, he gives instruction, and it is intended to be used as a tool to help us. The first help that Jesus tells us about money, the way we use this tool, is heart transformation. 
Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and, and vermin, where rust destroy, and where thieves break up in and steal. Here's the first warning Jesus gives us about our money, our wealth, and our treasures. If you store up on earth treasures on earth, what is the result? You'll lose them. If you store treasures on earth, you will lose them. Last week, Jacob said it. I'll repeat it again. There is no U-Haul you ever see following a hearse. One man, a miserly, stingy man, got close to death, and he turned to his wife, and he said, I have saved and worked all my life to get all this stuff, and I've converted it into cash. I know my time is running out, and I want you, right before they close the casket lid, to take the $90,000 I've served, saved and put in my casket so I can try to take it with me. I'm going to try to prove them all wrong. Well, he died. And his wife wanted to honor his wishes. The preacher told her, don't do it. The doctor who was with him when he died told her, don't do it. His lawyer said, you don't have to do it. And she said, no, I want to honor his wishes. And at the end, where, right before they closed the lid, she wrote him a check, threw it right in the casket. You can't take it with you. Whatever you develop as treasures here on earth, you will lose one way or another. My brother growing up had a T-top red convertible car. He went away one summer where he couldn't take it with him to summer camp, and I learned to drive stick shift in his red T-top convertible car. It was so sweet, a cherry red, and uh, here I was thinking I was the coolest 16-year-old around, stalling that thing out on hills. But anyway, this is, I loved that car, and he loved that car, and he would park it in the driveway. He would spend time polishing it. When he went out on dates, he'd wax it, and then he'd take the T-top off so his mullet would flow. I mean, he just loved this red T-top convertible. He would park it in the drive way right behind, sometimes right behind the garage where my dad and mom parked their vehicles. One day, my dad opened the garage door, got in his car, and backed straight up into his car. He loved that car, and then it was taken away. Anything you collect is going to go by the wayside one way or another. My grandmother collected salt and pepper shakers she had an incredible collection of salt and pepper shakers. And uh, I remember growing up, they were kind of neat. And she had salt and pepper shakers probably from all over the world. And when she passed, she didn't take a single salt and pepper shaker with her to heaven. My dad did not have room to store three boxes of salt and pepper shakers, nor did he want three boxes of salt and pepper shakers. And when they had their, her estate sale, apparently nobody else wanted three boxes of salt and pepper shakers. And they went to the garbage. That collection my grandmother had spent years collecting. You know, if you put your heart in the treasures on earth and then it gets broken or thrown away, you know your heart gets broken. If my grandmother had been living and found out that we threw away her salt and pepper shakers on earth, her heart would be broken. Now that she's in heaven and she has a greater perspective, she doesn't care about salt and pepper shakers either. But wherever we put our treasure, that's where our heart is. And if our treasure gets broken and it's guaranteed to break, your heart will be broken too. Jesus says it. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. He's warning us. Why is he warning us? Because whatever treasure we have on earth will go away. Some of us treasure uh, money. Some of us treasure wealth. Some of us treasure our good looks. Do you know if you treasure your hair, sometimes it just kind of falls out. 
I heard somebody tell me, whatever it is about your body, it will turn loose or fall out or turn gray. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And if your treasure gets broken, your heart gets broken. Jesus gives us an opposite way to live. But store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in still. Break in and still. Steal. My Kentucky's coming out. We need to use our money here on earth to invest in heavenly treasure. We need to think about what goes on with us after we pass from this world into heaven. The word of God is going to be in heaven with us, and the souls of the people we save will be in heaven with us. So we need to spend our treasure here, not holding it tight, but investing it in people in a way that's going to help them get to heaven. When we collected uh, funds for the Kentucky victims when they had the uh, flooding, we may never know who received items from this church that helped them get through a difficult time. But in heaven, God will let them know, and when we arrive, they're going to meet us and say, you were the one that gave, and it helped me through that difficult time. I found out the church gave, and I gave my life to Christ. I'm here because of your gift. If we invest more and more in people, we will have reward in heaven that will never wear out and will never go away. Rewards here, wealth here, you can use it up and until it is gone. In heaven, heaven, none of our rewards ever wear out and we never use them up. Here, we need to invest in there. I heard a story one time about a person who... Uh, uh, this author said, you can imagine someone living in the South during the Civil War who invested correctly and made a profit off of the war, and they received all of their payment in Confederate money, and then found out the war was going to end and the South was going to lose. Well, everyone in here would say, you'd be a fool to hang on to Confederate money. You need to transform it into the Union money, because that's the only money that's going to have value. Isn't it foolish to hang on to money that will have no value come the next day? Wasn't that how we treat wealth here? We hang on to money really tightly, and it's going to have no value come the next day. The only value it has is if we invested it into something that's going to continue on forever. When you are investing in stock, stock market brokers will tell you, you don't need to think about tomorrow. You don't need to think about next month. You need to think 30 years in mind. Well, when you invest in the kingdom of heaven and you use your value here on earth, you need to be thinking about 30 million years from now. What will you invest in now that 30 million years from now will have value? And that's the souls of people around you. Are you using your treasure, your wealth, your money to invest in heavenly rewards that will last or things on earth that will be destroyed, that will be thrown away and will go away, that you can use them all up. How are you investing your funds now? Are you investing in such a way that it's going to make disciples? Are you investing in your own life where you can make a disciple? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Randy Alcorn, in his book, uh, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, said something about this passage of Scripture that I had never heard before, but I think he's right on. He not only said where your treasure is, your heart will be, but also where you put your treasure, your heart will follow. I think he's right on with this. 
I have some friends that didn't used to invest in the stock market, but they have recently invested in the stock market, and they watch the stock market every day. Before, they weren't interested in the stock market. Now they are. Before, when the stock market went up or down, they didn't care. But now that their money is invested in the stock market, their heart followed, and they care what goes on with the stock market. Same thing is true about my wife and I. We never really thought that much about an orphan in Haiti connected to Lifeline Christian Mission, which our church supports, until we started sending money monthly to support that little girl. We sent money monthly, and we sent her Christmas gifts, and then all of a sudden we were very interested in the orphanage at Lifeline Christian Mission in Haiti. Because where our money went, our heart followed. Since then, that little girl has graduated out of the program. We no longer support her with monthly checks, and we no longer send her Christmas gifts, and we no longer really think about the orphanage in Haiti. Wherever you invest your money in, your heart is going to follow there. So if you started thinking and you had a moment of conviction, you said, you know, I really wish I had a heart for the homeless. I met with a homeless coalition last week, and there, are, there is a plan taking shape to help Wilmington homelessness reach zero. There, is plan, there are communities in the United States who have taken the same type of plan. They've used the same plan in each of these communities. And their homeless population, they've reached zero or moved towards zero in such a way that really helps people. I met with a homeless coalition last week. If you want to have a heart for homeless, but you don't really care and you don't really know what to do, start putting money into organizations that help the homeless problem. And your heart will go there. If you feel a little cold toward the church somewhere back in your life, some time ago you got burned by church members or your feelings were hurt or somebody said something you didn't like, that happens at all churches. That happens in any organization. Uh, Don't let one bad apple ruin the bunch. Don't let one bad church experience ruin the bunch. If you got a bad hamburger from one fast food restaurant, you probably wouldn't say all fast food restaurants give bad hamburgers. You probably just know that happens sometimes. But if you felt cold toward the church or you've been hurt by the church and you really know that God says the church is his bride, it's the family of God, it is the sheep we are supposed to shepherd, it is the way we're going to hold out truth to the whole world, it's through the church, it's how we're going to solve homelessness, it's going to be through the love of the church. If you felt cold but you want to have a warm heart toward the church because you know that's where God's heart is, you start investing in your church. Start giving money into offering and your heart will warm to church because wherever you put your money, your heart will follow. Jesus gives us a warning. He says, watch out that you don't invest in things that are going to wear out, but instead invest in kingdom work. Your heart will be there and your heart will follow there and it will never wear out and will never end and you'll never use it all up because it'll be an eternal reward. If we use tool, the tool of money like we're supposed to, we use it like we're supposed to, It will actually bring about heart transformation within us. Not only will it transform our heart to be more like Christ, warm toward the things of God, but it also gives us, Jesus also gives us this tool of treasures, wealth, money to do a life examination. Not just a heart transformation, but a life examination. This passage is a little bit more difficult to understand. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This is actually about an examination of our life. That, that good eye, bad eye, light full, eye full of light, eye full of darkness, it can be translated one of two ways. And they both end up in the same place. Uh, the, the translation, these words are a little bit more difficult to translate. The first way, it's, uh, the idea is, and it can be translated this way, 
If you have an evil eye, a bad eye, you're stingy, you're greedy. When the good eye, the healthy eye, would be generous. One comedian said his father was so stingy, when he died, he'd start moving toward the light so he could turn it off. So greedy about money. This is, I saw one person laugh at that joke. I'm so thankful that I didn't create that joke that some other comedian just bombed here on stage. Maybe it was the way I told it. But a bad eye would be stingy, greedy. And Jesus says this stingy and greediness is an unhealthy way. Your whole life is going to be part of that darkness, being stingy and greedy. And if, it will kind of make you spiritually blind. We don't want to walk around spiritually blind. Spiritually blind people bump into things where they think they're seeing clearly. And so if you're spiritually blind and you're stingy, you won't go and move to help people that you think you would help. Everybody wants to be a good person. Everybody wants to know that they would help somebody in need. But spiritual blindness affects physical reality. And so if you're stingy, Jesus says it's spiritual blindness that's your problem. You need to examine your life based on the scripture passages about money and about what you're supposed to do with money. And maybe by the power of the Holy Spirit, using this tool of scripture, it will reveal the blindness in your heart. And he said, there's a, there's a very scary end result for this. If you're spiritually blind and you're greedy and stingy, you're actually worse off than you can imagine. For he says, he says it this way, if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Spiritual blindness is worse than we can imagine. Another way to interpret the good eye, bad eye, and you end up in the same place. You end up spiritually blind and worse off than you can imagine. The other way is that the good eye can be translated as single, like singularly devoted to God. Well, that means the evil eye, the opposite of that, would be devoted to an idol here on earth. And if we're devoted to an idol, the scripture tells us we become blind and dumb like that idol. We become like what we worship. And so, again, if we end up in the same spot with this examination. We're spiritually blind, and the spiritual blindness is worse than we can imagine. Imagine if you were worshiping an idol, and you didn't even realize it. And so, Jesus would say, if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You're worse off than you can imagine. And our hearts are idol factories. We end up worshiping stupid things that we would never imagine if you ask somebody, do you really worship your salt and pepper shakers? No, of course not. Well, what are you spending all your money on? Well, I'm spending a lot of money on salt and pepper shakers. Do you really worship that car, that T-top red convertible that your brother stalled out on hills? No, I don't worship that car. Well, how much time are you spending washing it and buffing it and making it look really good? Because whatever we spend our most money on and whatever we spend our most time on is our idol. And so Jesus says, take a look and examine your life. Tool, the, money, the money tool that he has given us can be a life examination tool to reveal spiritual blindness within us, to reveal the darkness that's going on in our soul. You can ask yourself that question today, and you can even examine your own giving habits sitting right here in the room. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to shout out a confession, but you can examine right now. What do you spend the most money on? What do you spend your most time on? What do you spend dreaming about? I know we have, uh, I have met some friends of mine who their lifelong dream is to have safety and security that they feel like only money can buy. And if they just had enough money, they would have enough safety and security. And the examination under this, under this teaching means safety and security on earth has become the idol. 
What do they spend all their, mon- all their time thinking about? I'm not safe or I am safe. What do they spend all their money on? Well, I've got some cameras set up. I've got some extra insurance. And you know what? I still don't feel safe. Probably you don't feel safe because it's not a money thing. It's something going on with your heart. But we use this tool, we use money as a tool to self-examine. John and Sylvia Ronsvale every year put out a booklet called The State of Church Giving in America. They've been doing it for over 20 years. And what they have found as they study the income and giving practices of Americans is they have found that church members give on average. So we have that, if it's on average, that means some give a little bit more, some give a little less, some don't give any, and some give a lot. But on average, the churchgoer in America gives about 2% of their income into the offering plate or to uh, good, good programs in America a year. 2%. And they have estimated, based on the yearly giving statistics and the yearly income statistics every year, they've estimated that if just the church in America would give 6% of their income in offering, they would have enough money worldwide to stop worldwide hunger. And prevent the 5.9 million preventable children's deaths in the world. And have money left over for education. Just if we raised from 2% to 6% of our giving. That doesn't even cover what the standard practice was in the Old Testament of giving 10%, 23% of your yearly income into God's work. Just to be clear, when Malachi says, bring the whole tithe into the kingdom, it's not 10% he's talking about. The Jewish people in the Old Covenant were designed to give 10% to the priests, 10% to the poor, and 10% for the festivals that was spread out over three years. And so it became 23% of their income every year. So when Malachi says, bring your whole tithe into the kingdom, he's talking about 23% of your income. That's under the Old Covenant. We're not under that Old Covenant. We're under the New Covenant where Jacob taught us last week from the Scripture that we're supposed to give a percentage that brings joy to our heart, and we're supposed to grow in generosity from there. That's why we think about it and we pray about it, and then we determine a plan for it. So you can do self-examination. How much of your income, what percentage of your income, do you give to kingdom work? Most of the time, that kingdom work is going to go through your church offering. And you can examine, what percentage of your income do you give to church offering? And then you can ask the question, is it on average? Is it below average? Should it be more? We don't look at the amount you give here at this church, but we do want to know if there's consistency in giving. If you give every pay period and then all of a sudden you stop, we know to intervene and shepherd you as a family because probably something has gone on in your life that has messed up your life. We know that if somebody gives for the first time, something has gone on where they have fallen in love with what this church is doing, not only locally, but worldwide through missions. But you need to self-examine, and if you discover a spiritual blind spot, oh, I'm not really giving anything to the Lord's work. Probably your condition is worse than you realize. And if you haven't planned out a percentage It might reveal that you're not planning to give and you are not caring about investing in God's kingdom and it might mean you're worse than you realize. Jesus says if the light within you is actually darkness, how great is that darkness? 
Well, he wants us to use the tool of money to examine our giving. John and Sylvia, the people I mentioned that do the state of church giving, they said the average income from the Americans has actually risen in the past decade. Maybe not talking about this year. But the giving into God, investing in God's kingdom has actually declined a little bit. And so they quote, they say something like this. We're not giving like we're able to, and it has nothing to do with capability. It has everything to do with heart desire. Well, if we use this tool as God has given it to us, we use it in a correct way. I'm not going to ring the bell again. I'm just going to hold up these. We use these in a correct way. We'll do life examination, and we'll discover where we need to have a change happen. Just so you're aware, our giving last year was higher than what we budgeted in such a way that this year, where our giving has been lower than what we budgeted, we were able to use the excess from last year. But we plan our yearly budgets based on the offering for the year. So because the budgeted offering was lower this year, we, we didn't go in the negative. We had leftover from the year before. But because the offering was lower this year, we had to budget for next year a little lower. And that meant our missions budget is affected and shrank some because everywhere in the budget shrank some. Some costs have to remain the same. The heating and air conditioning for this building actually went up. Just so you know. Part of your examination, you get to decide, is it worth investing in what God is doing through this church to increase giving? Is it worth investing so that we can continue to push our mission budget larger? Mission budget affects missions in this community and around the world. We have people, our elders, I don't handle the money, thank God, I don't really have a, hand, a head for numbers, but our elders have established a financial team and a mission team. And between the elders, the financial team, and the mission team, those men and women pray and they carefully plan out how they're going to use the offering that is given. And so they really feel like they're making wise decisions with the money that you're investing in the kingdom. It's just something to think about, something you can use your examination over. Not only does it give heart transformation, whatever you put your money toward, your heart will follow. And life examination, you get to look for spiritual blind spots and just know if you find one, you probably are worse off than you realize and you turn to God for grace. Number three, we also have worship formation. Heart transformation, life examination, and worship formation. A lot of times we don't consider um, anything but singing worship. When we talk about going to worship, a lot of times we just mean singing. I know some of the language we use around here, we would say, hey, we're going to have prayer and a time of worship. And what that means is we're going to have prayer and singing. But really, really is saying is we're going to have worship and worship. Because singing is worship and prayer is worship and Bible meditation is worship and making a disciple is worship because we're worshiping the master, our savior, Lord Jesus Christ. But we also can use the money as a tool in an act of worship. And Jesus says it like this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And he's talking about how we worship. That word hate is kind of interesting. Hate, there's, there's, there's bad hate, there's good hate, there's, there's ways to hate that's in a good way. Uh, for example, I think sports hate is okay. Sports hate is not bad hate. 
For example, I was at the football game the other night working the concession stand, and the coach from the other team came over, and we were kind and nice to that coach, and we gave him a drink, we gave him a hot dog, and then we said, hey, we we just wish you the worst of luck tonight. Sports hate is totally fine. There is bad hate, though. There's bad hate. That is when we hate the person, and we want something bad to happen to them, like it would really cause them an injury. You know, Jesus says we need to pray for the people who are our enemies. We need to ask God to bless them. There is an evil hate that we're not supposed to do. We all have a tendency to lean that way. Then there's good hate. The scripture says we need to hate sin. We need to have a physical aversion to sin. When we get close to sin, it should make us sick because we hate it so much. God hates sin that way. And then there's the way that hate is used in scripture here. Hate is used in scripture in this passage, what Jesus is talking about, in a, in a way that describes a preference. A lot of time in Jesus' day and in the Bible, they would separate things into two categories to teach it. And so in the book of Proverbs or Psalms, you talk about the wise person and the foolish person. And the teacher would say, this is how you are wise. And the student would say, oh, you must be a wise person. No, I haven't obtained that yet. I'm still working toward it. And the student would ask, well, then that makes you the foolish person. Oh, no, no, I'm not the foolish person. I've moved out of foolishness and I'm heading toward wisdom. Paul did the same thing when he talked about following Jesus. He said, not that I've already obtained all this, but I've left that behind. I've moved out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I haven't obtained everything Jesus Christ is going to give me, but I'm moving toward it. So Paul, are you perfect? No, I'm not perfect. I'm moving toward perfection, the goal of Jesus Christ. Well, does that make you a dead in the darkness center? No, I'm not in the, I'm not in the realm of darkness anymore. Jesus says the same thing here with the love and hate phrase. He says the same thing in Luke chapter 14, he says this, large crowd was traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. He's talking about hate there as a preference between one or the other. So hate here is used in the same way. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. He's talking about preferring one over the other in worship. Do you love Jesus Christ? Of course I do. Are you giving and investing any money in his kingdom? Well, a little bit. Well, how much have you invested in the red T-top convertible? A lot. Do you love Jesus Christ? Yes, I love Jesus Christ. Do you obey him? Yes, he's my master. Well, how much have you helped the homeless population in Wilmington? Oh, I haven't really done anything. Well, are you sure that you're choosing one over the other? Jesus says we need to use this tool as an act of worship. And where we are putting our money reveals our worship, whether we are preferring one life over another, whether we're preferring Jesus over another. And our money oftentimes reveals that. You can test yourself. What do I spend most time about? What do I imagine? What do I invest in? Jesus promises that if you invest in kingdom reward, heavenly treasure. It will be a treasure that never wears out and you never use it up and your heart is going to follow after it. And if you can use that same tool to look for spiritual blind spots, you'll discover where you can get rid of some things in life and pool those resources to invest in more. And then the light within you becomes not darkness, but actual life. It becomes life for those around you too. And you can use that same tool to reveal your worship in Jesus Christ. We're going to have a way to respond to this message today that is 
is kind of significant. And we will never see the results this side of heaven. But uh, the last couple of months, anytime a national tragedy or worldwide tragedy has happened, and they happen all the time, we have taken the time as a community of believers to give some things to those in need. So when Kentucky had a problem, uh, Kentucky flooding most recently, we gathered supplies and we were able to ship supplies to people in need in Kentucky. There was a warehouse and a person in Kentucky that was distributing to people in need. When the Ukraine war started, we were able to ship supplies to the refugees that were coming out of the Ukraine into the churches in Poland and the people in Poland and some of our organizations that we know that could help those refugees. Those are still needs. The people in need and poor people never go away. It's never going to go away as long as we're here on earth. But we are called to help. And this hurricane in Florida has left many without power without food, without homes, without supplies to even go to work because their work is gone. And so for this next week, we're going to collect supplies for hurricane relief in Florida. And so we want you to bring uh, paper products, paper towels, uh, toilet paper, cleaning supplies, and baby supplies and drop them off at our front porch. And then there's an organization in Cincinnati that will get them to Florida and distribute to the people in need most. Well, that's just one way to respond to what Jesus says about using our tools to invest in his kingdom work. But it's a way you can do immediately. The other way, remember Jacob taught last week, think about it, pray about it, plan it. Plan out your giving on what you're going to invest in God's kingdom, beginning with your local congregation where you are attached as a church member. But all of your giving, when you pray about it, should not necessarily go to the church because there are a lot of great organizations in town that help people. I know your father's kitchen is a great example. Lee, we, at the Homeless Co- Coalition we met with last week, uh, Lee said, listen, we feed shut-ins with your father's kitchen and we feed families that can't make it to the end of the month with their paycheck. Families that have homes but just need a warm meal. We also take our addicts that are willing to rehab. If we get rid of your father's kitchen, we're going to ruin our community. Well, that's a great place to invest because that is a Christian organization that loves to feed people and then move them into a relationship with Christ. Uh, There are lots of organizations like that. And when you think about it and you pray it and you plan it, you'll be able to respond to God saying, where your treasure is, your heart will follow. Examine your life to make sure you don't have spiritual blind spots. And then look at how you're investing your money as worship not just a transaction. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.